0: Is there any hope for the survival of the State of Israel? How can a tiny nation of only 6 million Jews survive when surrounded by over 350 million hostile Arabs? And what about the United States? Is our continuing existence imperiled by our spiritual rebellion against God? Stay tuned for our interview with Dr. Gary Frazier, a man who has written insightful books about the future of both Israel and America. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents. Christ in Prophecy. A program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted. To have in the studio with me not only my colleague, Nathan Jones, but also a very special guest and friend of ours, Dr. Gary Frazier. Gary, we're so glad to have you. Hey, Dave. It's always uh, a pleasure. Gary is an expert on the Middle East, he is an expert on Israel, and he has the incredible supernatural gift of evangelism. When this man preaches, souls are saved. And I'm always mm. just there with my eyes wide open saying, Man, what's going to happen next? You are a great evangelist, brother.
1: Well, the Lord's been good, Dave. In fact, uh, I know this actual program will be aired a little bit later, but just this previous Sunday, I had the joy of being in a church in South Carolina and basically preached a real simple message asking the question, you know, are you ready? And when uh, God began to move in the service, the net result was was that we had uh, over 60 people in the altar. Forty-five of those people came making a profession of faith for Christ, but that was not the best part. The best part was early that Sunday morning. By the way, that happened to be time change Sunday, and uh, I went down early that morning and was sitting in the lobby drinking some coffee and uh, and reading my Bible, waiting for the restaurant to open for breakfast. And so, when they finally opened, I walked over to the seating area and I sat down. Had my I laid my Bible on the table and so forth. And the, a young black lady came by, and uh, she said she looked at my Bible and she said, uh, "Is there anything in that book that can help me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, in a matter of moments, she was sitting across from me. She was actually working there. She sat down. And a few minutes later, we were holding hands as she prayed to receive Christ that day. Her name was Shanika. And uh, and so I shared that with the congregation that morning. of course, it was really a joyous oh, occasion. Praise the Lord. Lord. And then yeah. the next morning, the pastor came Monday morning. We had breakfast, and she was there. And... Got the chance to introduce her, and they've got her now incorporated into the church oh family with their <laughs> two kids.
0: Well, I remember a few years ago we were <laughs> uh, ministering together at a prophecy conference in Broussard, Louisiana, and I was speaking first that evening. You were speaking after me, and when I got through speaking, this man came up who was very angry. And he said, I don't believe a word you said. And I said, Oh, really? He said, I don't believe Christianity is growing as fast as you say it is. And he went on and on and on. And I could tell the guy was under conviction, but I didn't know why he was even there, but he was really angry. So finally, I calmed him down. He went back. You got up and spoke, and at the end, you gave an invitation. And the very first person who came forward was this man who came running down the aisle weeping and accepted the Lord. And the next morning, I was telling some people about that, and I said, I can't even believe that this man was there. On a Friday night. Why would he even be there? And one of the guys said, "I know why he was there. His wife dragged him there. Oh, said yeah. my wife did that for me for years oh. until I accepted the yeah. Lord."
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I, read, I wrote a book a few years ago entitled "The Divine Appointment," and I really do believe in that. That principle that God that they're seeking souls, looking oh, for Christ, yeah, and God just is kind of leaning. If I could graphically say, God's kind of leaning out of heaven, and He's just looking around, saying, "Who can I get to bring across so I can bring them across those paths?" And you know that's what Acts chapters eight, nine, and ten really is all about. And well, so tell us more
0: about the nature of your ministry. What all do you do? in your Well, life?
1: <laughs> that's great. That's a great question. Well, first of all, uh, I, I, you know, you you made a comment a moment ago that I want to re- respond to. You said he's an expert in the Middle East and so forth and so on. I want to just say with all due respect, because nobody that I respect more than you uh, through these many years of our friendship, but I'm really not an expert. I'll tell you what I am. God called me to be a proclaimer of the Word of God. I'm an evangelist who uses (laughs) Bible prophecy to get to evangelism. There you go. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, uh, I've become convinced, uh, Nathan, and I think you'll agree with this, you can know every nuance of Bible prophecy and die and go to hell without Jesus. And that would be the greatest tragedy of all. And so my heart, my passion, my heartbeat. So every Sunday, Dave, I'm preaching somewhere. I'm writing books. We're back and forth to Israel a great deal. You know, part of what we have done through the years is to facilitate pastors and and churches yes. to, to experience that journey of a lifetime. We have the privilege between, after I left the pastorate in 1985, between the years of 85 and 1990, we had the privilege of taking over 1,700 first-time pastors to the Holy Land.
2: How many times have you been over there?
1: Well, <laughs> there's some confusion about that number.
2: Okay. It, <laughs> okay. Ranges,
1: it ranges between 150 and 187.
2: Trips to Israel with the the whole long flight there and the whole long flight back. Not all
1: 10 day trips with groups. okay? Because you remember the early days when we started the ministry. I was preaching on Sunday. I would fly out Monday morning, land there on Tuesday, leave there on Friday, come back Saturday, preach Sunday, leave again on Monday. And I did that 28 times in a matter of, a, in less than, wow. in almost barely a year. so. How did you deal
2: with the jet lag?
1: Well, when you are young, Nathan, you can do lots of things. <laughs> lots of coffee. Huh? That I can't <laughs> do today. I can assure you, I, my last trip there I came home and I told, I got, my wife wasn't with me and I told her, I said, Honey, I'm telling
0: you, the older I'm getting, the harder this I trip. is." Why should anybody desire to go to Israel? Well, Why any you know, Christian? That is such a
1: great question, Dave. And I will tell you that I that I, I, I share with people this, If you want to make an investment in your spiritual life, this is the greatest single opportunity for accelerated spiritual growth that you could ever experience. In a trip to Israel, it will make this book that's black and white, it will jump off the page. It will become technical. That's right. We say that. And you know that's the truth. And, And everywhere I go I challenge people. I say, is there anybody here who's been to the Holy Land? Well, somebody. I say, so here's what I want to say to you. If I say something that's not true, if I exaggerate, you you call me on it. Yeah. But is this true or not? They say absolutely.
0: You know, a, a person goes to the Holy Land, and they come back, they start reading, and they read about the city of Capernaum. They know where Capernaum is. They have walked in Capernaum. They've smelled the air there. They've, and it jumps off the page. It's not just a name on the page. Perfect illustration.
1: Uh, I'm preaching in New Orleans when I was pastoring there back in the early '80s. Uh, I gone to Israel you know, for the very first time in 1971. And after the service that morning, a lady came by, I'll never forget her name, Mary Milner. And Mary said to me, Pastor, when you were preaching, you were talking about that boat on the Sea of Galilee and that storm that came upon yeah. on. She said, I yeah. could see that in my mind. I said, Mary, the reason that you could see it in your mind is because I've seen it, I've got it in mind, yeah. so I could draw that picture in yours. I'll tell you, Dave, you see, most people who read the Bible... Pay almost no attention to geographical locations. Yes, that's right. And yet if they'll take a highlighter and every time yes. they see the name of a town or yeah. a region they'll mm-hmm. highlight that they'll begin to understand that all of this is, is, is connected in such a way that when you, when you realize all these things the Bible just it, to say it comes alive is really cliché. And yet it's I can't different. tell you how
0: many <laughs> pastors have told me I don't see any reason why I should go well, to
1: Israel. Yeah. Listen I have <laughs> in my sweet spirit. And being the calm, mild-mannered person I am, <laughs> I want to just grab them and shake them. What's wrong with you, man? You know, I, th- I it would never, enrich their teachings. I have never somewhere. understood that.
2: I was surprised going to Israel that you read about how long it took them—traveled three days here, three days there—and that, like, we went down to Bethlehem. You got Tekoa nearby, and Jerusalem, and kiriath Jerem and it's all within just a, a mild, short distance. How small Israel really is.
1: Yeah, and when you think about, it, you know, you'll think about the fact that here we are. You know, and of course, the the big state of Texas. You know, yeah. But but, but people who go into Israel don't really realize that Israel is so tiny it will fit in the peninsula between Orlando and Miami. Yes. Now think about that wow. distance. It will actually you can pick the state of Israel up and put it inside the Garden State of New Jersey. Oh, mm-hmm. So that's how small a place it is. And so when you then when you begin to hear about friction and tension in Israel, well you begin to understand that here are a group of people from two complete different. Uh, ideologies, philosophies, religion, etc. And they are compacted into a very, very small area. So mm-hmm. naturally the net result is going to be conflict.
0: Well, what I want to do is we are going to take a short break and then we are going to come back and talk about is there any hope for the survival of Israel. back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion with uh, Dr. Gary Frazier. Gary you have a new book coming out called The Miracle of Israel. I do. And uh, I would just like to ask you a question related to that. Is there any hope for the survival of Israel? After all we are talking about a tiny little nation the size of New Jersey, Mm. only 6 million Jews surrounded by almost 400 million Arabs. Mm. Is there any hope?
1: Well obviously Dave when you frame that, that question in that way. It sounds like the, the the logical answer would be no possibility. Absolutely. And yet, the thing that that, uh, that I write about in this book and that I've written entitled "The Miracle of Israel" is that how God has consistently honored His Word. You know, not only is he a miracle-keeping God, but God is faithful to His own world and when, word. And when we find in Genesis chapter 15, He enters a covenant relationship, and He swears by Himself because how? Else, who else could He possibly <laughs> swear to? And an unconditional covenant He entered into with Abraham and His descendants through the child of promise, Isaac. So can Israel survive? Israel will survive because God has declared it. God has promised it. And further to that, not only will Israel survive, Israel will prosper. They've never occupied all of the land, the promised land land that God promised them as outlined in Genesis chapter 15. But during the 1,000 year reign of peace upon earth when Christ reigns once again from Jerusalem, the Jews are going to prosper. They're prospering even today. Uh, But but in in spite of that, in that 1,000 years they're going to Really prosper because they're going to have all the territory that God promised
0: them. Yes, they will survive. Well, yes. In the natural, no hope for survival. Right. But in the supernatural, they're going to survive. I love Absolutely. a cartoon I saw several years ago that we're showing on the screen right now that shows all the leaders of the world pulling a rope and Netanyahu's on the other side, just one person. He's holding the rope, but God's finger is right. on the right. end right. of the right. rope. Exactly. And that rope ain't going to work. And you know, in the world today doesn't
1: get Israel. They don't get it. (laughs) They they really cannot understand why every single day in the media, uh, in in countries all, in the capitals of the world we can say Israel is a topic of conversation. How in the world can a country so small be so vitally important? It is because of the promises (laughs) of God. And also
0: the fact that, you consider the fact that uh, uh, the, the whole world, every time something happens in Jerusalem. It's on the headlines. Uh, they like can't
2: build a, uh, an apartment complex no. without the whole world getting upset. <laughs> Why is the whole world always mad no. at Israel?
1: Well, and here's the thing: if you take this
2: book yeah. and throw it away, then
1: you can, you know, obviously, be uh, in the dark with regard to Israel. Mm-hmm. But if you open the pages of the Word of God, and I realize that in, in many capitals of the world that's not permissible, up to including Washington these days. But having said that, you know, when you open the Word of God, you cannot help but see that God has this incredible plan for the Jewish people, that He's proven himself time and time and time again, that He is going to deliver them. And ultimately, as you well know, Zechariah tells us that when they look upon Him, when He comes at the second coming of Christ, Paul's promise becomes a reality, and so all Israel shall be saved. So they will survive and know the nations of the world will never understand the, the role of Israel in the world and especially in the last days.
0: He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor oh, sleeps, yes. and history is scattered with the corpses of nations that came against Israel. Now, that leads me on next. Why is it so important for us to have a good relationship with Israel, our nation?
1: Well, I think a couple of reasons Dave. First of all we, we, we want to go back to what the Word of God says. And of course in Genesis 12 God enters into this covenant with Abraham. And, and he basically makes it very clear. Who's, whoever blesses Israel, I'm going to bless them. Mm-hmm. Whoever curses them, I'm going to curse them. Now, the bottom line is we have preachers and liberal theologians today who try to do dances all around those scriptures and tell us that Israel is not no relevant. boycotting anymore.
2: Israel? Yeah, uh-huh. and,
1: and because of the fact they say, well, the Jews uh-huh. rejected Jesus somewhere. Okay, first of all, one thing doesn't have anything to do with the other. Yes. Because this is a covenant God made specifically based on his faithfulness. And his word. And so when he says I'm going to bless whoever blesses Israel. Whoever curses them then will I curse. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not Israel is faithful to God or not. It has to do with God's faithfulness to keep His Word.
0: Uh-huh. Here is a pretty ominous passage also. This is in Joel chapter 3 verse 2 where it says, In the end times God's going to gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. And I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land." God is going to put severe judgment on well, those is. who and divide up the land of Israel.
1: Absolutely. And here's something that I think is really important. We have a lot of confusion in theological circles today with prophetic teachers and preachers and so forth and so on about the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. This seven horrific years, an unprecedented unparalleled time in the history of the world. And, and, and guys are saying, well, <sighs> is the church going to go through the tribulation? The church not going to go through the tribulation. But here's the problem. They don't understand the purpose of the tribulation. You just read one of them. There are two primary purposes of the tribulation. One, God is going to finish His business with unbelieving Israel, and they will ultimately look upon Him whom they've pierced, and they'll weep as though they'll recognize Him as the Messiah. Secondly, God's going to finish His business with unbelieving Gentile nations as to number one, what they did with Jesus, Mm -hmm. receive or reject, and number two, how they treated the Jews. That's right. So the purpose of the tribulation when you look at that is, you say, well, is the church involved in that? The answer to that is absolutely not. And we may talk about that more later, but the fact is, it becomes important that we have a clear understanding of what God has promised to do with the Jewish people and then if we'll just watch his hand and by the way that's why i wrote this book mm-hmm. the hand of god in history if you'll watch for god's hand in history you'll see how god time and time and time again keeps his word and that's what is so thrilling yes
0: to me. and he and he really does bless those who bless israel and we have been a great blessing to israel in our history even in the foundation of the modern state and god's blessed us but The Bible says in the end times all the nations of the world will turn against Israel. And I think we have turned against Israel. And I want you to comment for a moment on the recent deal with Iran.
1: We have turned on Israel. And in fact never has there been a quote-unquote deal negotiated that is so anti-Israel as what this current president and this administration along with the Secretary of State sees this being a portion of their, evidently, their great legacy. Never in the world could you take a rogue terrorist nation who has verbally stated time and time and time again that we are going to get a weapon, and when we get it we are going to use it to wipe the Jews off the face of the map. And then you have the greatest quote-unquote democracy, supposedly friend of Israel, actually going to the table and saying, okay, we are going to agree with you, and the and we're time. going to we're going to actually end up helping you. Yeah, we're going to
2: defend just, Iran from yeah, Israel. Because yeah. when
1: portion of that Iranian agreement, that by the way, the at least the Congress, as of this filming, has not yet totally approved. on well, neither is
2: Ayatollah. The uh, and, you know, <laughs> and they said they're not going to. Yeah.
1: But that deadline, you know, came yeah. and went. But that said, here we are, as a part of that agreement, we later found out but there is a military cooperation element to that yes. that actually pits us against Israel. Were Iran to attack Israel, the United States of America would, then, if that agreement actually goes through, we would be obligated to come to the defense of the Iranians.
0: And the entire time we were negotiating with them, their supreme leader was saying, "Death to Death America!" To
2: America!
1: <laughs> I mean, and they're <laughs> funding
2: terrorists that attack us, so we're defending the people
0: that are attacking. us. And also, a nation that never keeps yeah. its word.
2: Well, and,
1: and as we're filming this very program. They just celebrated what the 38th anniversary of the yeah. taking of the hostages that mm-hmm. they held for 444 oh, yeah, days yeah. under the Carter administration, and so forth. This is celebrated. A, it. This is a God-hating, America-Israel-hating nation. Ruled by a group of religious zealots who are determined that the only way they're part of the group that you know, we all know as the Twelvers, who believe the 12th descendant from Muhammad disappeared in the year 941 AD, that he will come again to establish Islam as the, the dominant religion in the entire world, but only as a result of a major worldwide catastrophe. And they feel that Allah has appointed them to bring about this catastrophe by nuking Israel, nuking America, nuking the West. And here we are in our naive,
2: uh, Humanistic.
1: Crazy <laughs> point of view. attitude thinking
2: yeah.
0: that
1: we can somehow negotiate with these well,
0: people. Well I think the bottom line is that uh, Obama is going to make Neville Chamberlain look good.
1: He is. <laughs> he really is. And But what is scary to me is this. There was a great price paid by the British people, of course obviously the French yes, etc. Yes. in World War II. Because of that attitude the, there will be a price paid in the oh, world absolutely. by America and all the people who turn against Israel. The one thing that people must realize is this, is that we have a creator God who has re- revealed in the word of God what he is going to do if we would but pay attention. My desire would be that that the Ayatollah would call a Bible-believing Christian and say, hey, listen, I'm, we're about ready to, to, to attempt to wipe the Jews off the face of the map. Can, will we be successful? <laughs> And uh, I would be able to say to him, well, not if you read the Word of God. Well, I know that we, we know the Jews wrote the Bible, so we don't accept that. We believe the Koran. Well, I just want to say to you, if you believe the Bible, if you can read the Bible, here's what God says is going to happen to you. He's going to destroy you yes. on the mountains of Israel. Yes. It will take seven years. They'll burn the weapons of warfare for fuel. For, for, for seven months, they'll be bearing the carnage. Are you prepared for that? But they are naive. But here we are in America, trying to impose a political solution on a religious problem. Mm-hmm. It will never so, work. That's right. Because of I a listen, contempt
2: of all religions from a humanistic perspective. And I want to
1: think, what in the world? Yeah. You yeah. know, where, what, what, how can you think like this? Let's just hypothetically say that the Bible is wrong. Let's just say that we can throw this book out and not pay attention to it. Common sense dictates that you cannot make a deal with people who repeatedly have stated over and over and over again, we will destroy
0: you. hmm Hitler didn't even say that when Chamberlain was no, uh, negotiating. Exactly. And you know when when it was all over with and Hitler had violated all the agreements and invaded Poland, Chamberlain said it would have all been all right if he hadn't lied to me. <laughs> what do you expect a Hitler to do? What do you expect a human to do? What do
1: you- <laughs> Well, we, especially. It's that
0: humanist we, view of the goodness of man. It is. And, and, mm-hmm. and we can trust him, and yeah. and it's not the Bible. And, and their own
1: religious book authorizes them to lie to yes. the infidel. That's right. And so we're the infidels. So well, let's take a break here lie. for
0: a moment. We'll come back and talk about America.
2: Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy with our guest, Dr. Gary Fraser. He's the author of America at The Tipping Point, which by the way is a free download off his website. Check it out. <laughs> so, Gary, could you answer Dr. Reagan's question about where America's position with Israel, how that'll affect us? What do you mean by that title?
1: Well, yeah. first of all, there was a wonderful book that came uh-huh. out called The Tipping Point, and it was a New York Times bestseller. And I read the book, and I, I really appreciated some of the thoughts in it. And then I began to think about the fact that America really has had a place in our history where the scales that, mm. that uh, you know, we once tried to, to balance between morality and politics and so forth uh, has now be, been tipped. And we have actually come to a place where, uh, while we've done a lot of things since the birth of this country, that have been uh, opposed to the principles clearly that we are founded upon that the word of God teaches. Really what happened in 1925 when we at the fam- at the very famous Scopes monkey trial yeah. when we basically uh-huh. decided we were going to th- Refuse the fact that God was the creator now that we are just the process of premortal slime. And of course with that goes <laughs> yeah. the consequence of choice. In other words yeah. if, if, if we are not created by God then we are not accountable to the creator. And therefore secular humanism which has become the religion of our land has basically said there is no God. Every man is that is his own God. He can do what is right in his own eyes. And, so, and as a result of that there will never be a consequence. Well fast forward from that. Of course we ended up in World War II but when we came out of World War II a time when women were in the home, basically there was... uh, it was a whole. Although we had our big cities, we were more or less a rural kind of a mm-hmm. mindset. People grew up in an area, they married someone from there, that they went to school with, they pretty well settled down. But after World War II, everything changed because in the war, the women went into the out of the home into the workplace, really? and they never went back to the yeah. home. So now all of a sudden, you have opportunity that is men and women together, which they had not been before, yeah, and then you good. have proximity because now they're working close by. The natural result is that we began to see the breakdown, the collapse mm-hmm. of our mar. Fiber in America. But we fast forwarded out of World War II into 1963 when, thanks to one woman, basically backed by communist money oh, we we know
2: oh, uh, Madeline Mayor, Murray. And, Murray yeah. So we had all of a
1: sudden prayer thrown out of the public schools. Dave when you and I grew up they, there was a Bible. Well I was going to say we've seen dance.
0: America change radically that, in our lives.
1: Absolutely. And we, and we catapulted from 63 and, and no prayer in school. Then we went to the 73 Roe v. Wade from the, and it wasn't very long until then we began to embrace Open homosexuality and the LGBT movement. So when I write about the tipping point I'm talking about the fact that we have tipped morally in America and we are now on the fast track ultimately to our own destruction.
0: And yes unless people are our age they really don't understand how they fast don't. this is happening. When I went to school I was, I was raised in the 40's and 50's. And when I was being raised first of all I never was exposed to a single drug in my lifetime of any kind. And secondly uh, we, we prayed every day we had devotions every day. Our readers in school were Bible stories. We learned morals.
1: You place a legion to the flag every when day. When I
0: graduated from Waco High School in 1956, we were about 450 in our graduating class. On any given day we had 100 pickup trucks in the parking lot. And they had a gun rack. Gun right. And they had a shotgun, a twenty two, and a deer rifle, and a pistol in the glove compartment. Nobody thought anything about that because we, we weren't Today we've got moral pygmies who are killing each other over tennis shoes. Sure,
2: but on the back of your book, though, it says that uh, you're not sounding the demise of the United States. That there's hope. What is that hope? There's
1: always hope in Christ, and Uh and the the fact of the matter is, is that while I believe, and coincidentally, I'm writing another book called America Beyond the Tipping Point right now. Okay, that'll be coming out before too much longer. But the fact is, is that I personally believe, and it's just my humble opinion. I think we've passed the point as a country with no return. I agree. There is no model in history that allows the reversal of where we have come. Yes. And where we are continuing to go at a rapid pace. The
0: Bible refers to it as when the wound becomes that's incurable. Right. Well,
1: and when, and, when, and when we call evil good and yeah. good evil. And that's exactly what that's we're we are doing today. But I will say this. The the wonderful news is is that God is still on the throne, and that the Bible and God is not a Merle centric. God's world does not evolve around the United States.
0: Yeah, of that's right.
1: And the fact is, we have been the greatest nation missionary sending nation in the world. We've given more freedom to more people for a longer period of time than anyone. But there are no guarantees when you violate the moral principles of the Word of God then God will not allow that to go unnoticed and unpunished. When that
0: happened in Judah Jeremiah warned them and and, uh, they said to Jeremiah over and over, the temple, the temple, the temple. That's right. God will never allow anybody to touch our temple. Yeah. Well, God allowed it. And I think there are people who think God sits on the throne draped in an American flag.
1: I think He does too Dave. And tragically I will say this (laughs) that, that we know because we know what the Bible says. And and this puts us by the way in a very unique position because frankly in a time when we have more religious programming, more opportunities for people to know the Bible we have the most ignorant people in the world concerning Scripture that have ever lived really I guess since Mm -hmm. the beginning of our birth of America. Having said that we know that, that there is coming a one world government and we know that it is impossible to have. A one-world government and have a superpower that is a democracy. Yes. So based on what Scripture tells us, Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter seven, something has to happen to America. Now, how all that plays out is is up for discussion. There are a lot of different possible or plausible scenarios, but the one thing we know is this: at the end of the day, the United States of America no longer exists. Yeah.
0: Well Gary, uh, I wish we could it's tragic pers- as that I wish is. we could <clears throat> expand on that but our time is about up. What I'd like for you to do is look at, into that camera right in front of you and tell people how they can get in touch with your ministry.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, <clears throat> you can go to my website which is just GaryFrasier.com and uh, we have a lot of free PowerPoints that we've made available. <clears throat> America the Tipping Point is there available. Certainly you can buy other products and materials we have. But, but Dave the most important thing more so than that website is is that <clears throat> the, the passion of all of us sitting here today is that you might personally know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That's really at the end of the day. With the peril that we face He is the only answer.
0: Thank you Gary. Well folks that's our program for this week. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near.
2: From the drama of military battles to the amazing fulfillment of God's promises, Israel, the tiny region along the Mediterranean Sea, and the people who call it home are central to Bible prophecy. Israel and Bible Prophecy is a video that will instruct and astound you as you watch Dr. Reagan and two young companions explore over 25 sites in the Holy Land. Discovering how seven prophecies are being fulfilled in Israel today. The DVD also includes a special navigation menu that makes it easy to view segments by topic or location. You can order your copy of Israel in Bible Prophecy for a donation of $20 or more. That includes the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen or order online at lamblion.com.